Welcome to the International Classroom Podcast, where we explore the world of education through a global lens. As a teacher, you know that every student has unique needs, experiences, and perspectives. And we believe that a global perspective is key to creating an inclusive and effective classroom. In each episode, we bring you insights and discussions from experts and educators around the world, sharing their experiences, challenges, and solutions in the classroom. Whether you are a student, a teacher, or anyone interested in education, we invite you to join us on this learning journey. Now, before we get into today's episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite streaming sites to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you're watching this on Deep Teaching on YouTube and you've yet to, please subscribe. We've been fortunate enough to have some fantastic guests on, so please do share this with your colleagues and friends and let us know who you'd like us to speak with next. George, thank you ever so much for joining us here today on the podcast, Pleasure. taking your time out. This question I've kind of started with everyone at the moment is, who are you and what do you do? So uh, my name is George Peterkin. I am Managing Director of Mind Your Health. I guess I'm still an educator in some ways, um, but I run Mind Your Health. We've got a team. Basically, what I do is I visit as many schools as much as I can in person to give them the support that they need, all things to do with mental health and well-being. Fantastic. How did you find yourself getting into that field then? So teacher for many years. I worked in the prep boarding sector, all boys, so very loud, lots of fun. And I attended mental health first aid many years ago, I think almost 10 years ago now. And I just left with so many positive reflections from it, but also a lot of questions. And I just thought, oh, this is something I could look into. And I can't honestly tell you the the eureka moment, but I remember around six months later, I thought I'll become an instructor. And naturally, what is it like? The best laid plans are forgotten once you, you receive that first punch. Kind of, sort of made it up as I went along, but now it's come to a very nice uh, kind of conclusion that, yeah, we, we visit as many schools as possible and provide it. And when you say visit as many schools as possible, obviously you're here with us in Dubai. Mm. So it's not just based in England, is it? No, so uh, based just outside of London in, in Surrey, if anyone knows sorry if they're, they're watching or listening to this predominantly most of our work is actually in the international sector that was not so much our primary plan it was again just a happy accident so the uae is certainly i'm probably going to say a bit of a hub for us as it were uh, it's a lovely area to work in as well with with the amount of schools and the amount of contacts and how everybody knows each other but we have quite a big push in asia in particular, and we're starting now. I don't wish to tempt fate, but we're very much starting in Brazil as well. Oh, fantastic! So you get to travel around and see some wonderful countries as well as work in them. Yeah, it's it sounds it sounds more luxurious than it is. I mean, there's um, it is what do they call it? Mate? They call it like the red eye flight sort of thing. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it, it listen. I'm very grateful for a London lad to be able to fly to countries who I would have had no no thoughts of going for a holiday as it were you know for me going to Spain or going to Dubai would be a holiday sort of thing um very very grateful however you know we, we now have a team and I think some of the team have got uh, itchy feet that I think they want to start going to the places on behalf of Mind Your Health uh, in the next year or two well I think I can only say that would probably be a good thing then yes I think it's also good as well to have um a bit of I mean, I'm, as a counsellor as well, I'm, I'm very big on diversity and working with that. I think it's also good for the schools and the companies we work with to have a, a bit of diversity when it comes to the delivery as well, because um, without being too self-deprecating, you know, they probably need a different accent and even, you know, and to not look at a budget Robert De Niro delivering the training as well. <laughs> but that's a really self-deprecating like description of yourself there. Yeah. You know, we'll have some of those comments, people always like, no, no. Yeah. very it's, it's called the humble brag isn't it yeah oh that's it yeah very, the humble brag can you do the accent i could do the face <laughs> I, I'll, I'll wait I'll, I'll do the face later yeah <laughs> all right amazing so there's going to be people out there listening and watching this who maybe haven't heard of mind your health mm. I and mean, give us like your your sales spiel your your mm. pitch as it were what is it that you know you do what is it you offer and, and some examples sure. of what you've been doing here in dubai with schools sure so it's hard to do an elevator pitch so uh, but i'll do my best so Primarily, it's focused around mental health first aid. That was our, our has always been our main focus. It's naturally kind of spread the net a lot more because we want to 
offer not supplementary courses, but complementary. We think it's not enough just to do that one day bit of training to tick a box. So sadly, we, we do have to offer suicide first aid, a very important bit of training, no matter where we are in society. Um, a particular focus for us as well was eating disorder workshops and, and training there along with, and something we were actually very proud, and forgive me, you have asked, so I'll, I'll sound like um, Del Boy selling stuff from the back of his van here, counselling skills training, either for people who wish to completely retrain as a counsellor, but actually 95% of the people that attend the training are all educators because they want to have that skill set to, to learn how to better support not just the children and young people, but actually the colleagues at the school. And obviously the biggest thing for me as, as an educator we can't just focus on the staff. We have to also provide workshops for the parents and in particular the children. I'm a big believer that actually children and young people um, deserve to have this sort of training themselves and to give them those skill sets so they can have a bit more autonomy and boost their self-esteem and resilience at the same time. I think that's it. So obviously you've been doing different, lots of different work here in the, yeah. in the UAE, haven't you? So. Give us an example then of, of what a, a workshop with you, if you want to do it for the teachers, sort of would look like. Sure. So um, I'll name drop. So I was at RGS Dubai um, and I worked with them for a few days. I worked with the, the children. We had year six and year seven. That was fantastic. With the staff, we did a couple of things. So we did an hour and a half for the whole staff to talk about what is mental health, uh, risk factors, and things like how to promote positive mental health in the workplace, how to create that culture of well-being and mental health uh, within the staff room. And, you know, kind of I set that rule of for this section, we're not talking about the children and young people because we all love working with the kids and we always think about their safety first. The workshop is specifically about what we should be doing for each other and for ourselves. And then on the secondary side, we would then have a, a group of staff, you know, I was about to say give up a day, that's not right, to to give themselves the chance to carry out mental health first aid training. So have a deeper dive into common and complex mental health disorders, learn how to recognise them, and then learn how to give support, that initial aid, before we refer it on. And that's kind of, forgive me, that's almost like the foundation package that every school should be doing. And then what we like to do, we like to give give the staff, give the school just the multitude of courses we offer and they pick and choose the things which are most most interesting and, and the most relevant and we create that bespoke package on the back of that foundation bit of training. Fantastic and so in terms of follow-up work like obviously you come in do the initial sessions what follow-up work do you recommend then for teachers? Yes yeah, so um, you know so again we would offer mental health first aid training for a larger bre- uh, you know, group of people. One that's been very popular, and we, we did it with Cranley uh, weekend before last, we did the eating disorder awareness training. And it's just such a terrific bit of training, if I can say that, simply because everybody goes in with the mindset of, oh, this is going to be great for the children and young people we work with. And then they realise, oh no, that's not how George and his team's delivering it. It's us working on our relationship first before helping others. And then for me as well, that level two counselling skills training has been our most popular piece of training for the last nine months. And everybody starts the training, Alex, with the whole idea of how am I going to apply this for the children and young yeah. people? And within two or three sessions, when they do their <clears throat> weekly reflections, they then realise, oh, no, this is about me yeah. first and foremost. So for me, it's not professional development, it's personal development as well. Yeah, I find that fascinating because at the moment we were talking enough about GCSEs mm. and so forth and being a biologist, we've just gone into the topic of disease. Mm. And one of the things they start with in, in the GCSE bio is what is health? Right. And it's interesting when you ask students, and it's, they're all about our physical fitness, mm. uh, food that we eat. Mm. So they've got this idea about food. But it's then it's like opening their eyes to social and mental health. and being. And I think kids nowadays are more aware of it but the food part really fascinates me. And I kind of say to them, go back a hundred years, mm. go back a hundred years and look at the, the most prevalent disease within humans and fast forward to today. And they're like talking about cardiovascular diseases, mm. talking about obesity and diabetes and kids relationship with food, especially here. Um, 
is really quite negative and it stems from adults. I don't know if you found this whilst being in Dubai like, as a visitor and you kind of can compare it then to what it's like in the UK. Um, ordering anything. It's, it's convenient, swipe of a button. It's crazy. But this idea of then just the amount of processed food, mm. sugars, and we've had schools here now start to ban prime. Yes, that drink, because it's actually got some health, I mean, well, alleged, allegedly, allegedly yeah. some health issues. I, yeah, I mean, if you don't mind me piggybacking off that, when I, when I do, we, we've got this course called the Men's Health Warrior course. We own it, we, we created it, it's for children. Cranley actually were the reason we did it, because they wanted all of the kids to be trained up. And then I said, well, let's do something which is A, cost effective and also applicable. And I showed them a picture of this, this, this is an image of a, a, a face. And instead of the brain, it's got all the food types. And I asked, I asked the children, young people, well, look, what's wrong with this picture? I'm an eating disorder specialist and, and all this, and, you know, um, sorry, therapist and all this. And one of them always is very, like, very shy to say, George, where's all the cake and the biscuits and ice cream? And I said, yeah, where is it? I said, it should be there. And I, but we talked then about moderation mm. and, you know, and, and whatnot. And, and I'll tell you something I'm really interested in. And I worked, worked with a school a couple of days ago and one of the staff said, oh, good foods and the bad foods. And I did say, well, what's a good food? I said, and what's a bad food? And they tell you, oh, good foods, fruit and veg, bad foods, ice cream. I said, what makes it bad? I could tell you biologically what makes ice cream bad. Of course you can. <laughs> but then I also think about, well, is that emotional? Is it emotionally unhealthy? And I said, because you know what? It could be actually really emotionally beneficial to have a bit of ice cream now and then, but everything in moderation, mm. including moderation. But it's, it's, it's fascinating when it comes to, for us, and again, even a, a even bigger sidetrack, uh, I loathe the word diet. When I work with my oh, eating yeah. disorder clients, because we're all on a diet, the great apes are on a diet, the sharks are on a diet. So for us, we talk about nutrition because for me as a therapist, it's not just as much as I hate it, calorific nutrition, which I, I loathe as well. It's also about emotional nutrition, psychological nourishment, yeah. all of these things. But for me, you know, I do think these children have it a lot harder when it comes to nutritional balance because the ease and the access and where I'm from, it's a lot easier to or more convenient to buy processed food rather yeah. than healthy, right? Because it yeah. doesn't degrade as, as quickly and and whatnot um i could rant about that all day that's what we're here for yeah i could, <laughs> I could rant about it all day well food that's really i'm into this at the moment really fascinated by it and i obviously like podcasts mm. so listening to like people like stephen bartlett mm. and some of the people he's had on at the start Phenomenal. of this year mm. listening to them from again sort of mental health well-being and the links with food food massive um talking about gut health and how that connects. 90 odd percent of your gut health is linked to your mental health and depression. Yeah. A huge <clears throat> amount of people with depression have poor gut health. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm, I've really taken that on board to try and educate our kids mm. about this and other things that come into it, not just with like sleep, like things you can pick up from these podcasts and then you kind of start going into the research of it. Mm. Simple little things. And the, the best question I think the guy on there asked, and, I, and I've gone into assemblies and asked my kids this now, if I deprive you of four things for a day, I don't mm. know if you heard this episode, if I take away food, if I take away water, activity or sleep, which S Sleep is, because I, I say it to the kids, every, when we do the risk factors, none of them, we have a bit of competition. They all choose an answer and I, yeah. it's kind of like last person standing, you know, I, I mention a bunch. None of them ever mention sleep deprivation. And I literally say to them, listen, everyone, it's the first form of torture to deprive someone of sleep. When you're tired, you make mistakes. And, mm. And I always give, I give them permission to roll their eyes because then the last thing I ask them about sleep is what's the one thing you should not be doing for an hour before bed, screen time. And they all moan and groan. And I said, guys, I'm the same though. When I have a yeah. bad night's sleep, it's, and I, I think back on why I think of two things, nutrition, what have I eaten the night before and what have I consumed uh, visually yeah you know so again the word consumption is a really good word because when we say consumption now ex-classics teacher here it just means eat but actually to consume not just what are you consuming nutritionally what are you consuming socially yeah visually all of these things have an impact um but you we all have to be saying the messages though alex like you know i said to them oh, do your teachers and parents tell you this and they're like yeah and i said 
and I'm telling you, and I'm a stranger, this isn't a conspiracy. We can't all be wrong. Yeah. But we all, I don't know about you, Alex, I'm, I'm a slave to it sometimes as well. If I'm on LinkedIn the night before, you know, yeah, yeah. We, we have to, we have to, we have to model it as not just model the positives, but model when we also get it wrong with the children as well. Mm, yeah, that's hard for teachers. Mm. Like we put ourselves sometimes up on this pedestal. Mm. And actually, I think it's really important for teachers to go and go, look, guys, like I've done this as well. Mm. And some of the assemblies I give you personal stories, it's like it has the biggest impact on them. And okay, kids have to live and experience certain things for themselves. Absolutely. Hopefully not down to, you know, no, to, not to too extent. bad. Yeah. But you know, experience goes, why it's like teenagers don't listen to their parents when it's like, and, and also because we say, well, don't do that. So I've got an example for my kids messing about on the sofa, walking on the arm of the chair. Mm. You say, don't do that because one of you is going to fall off and hurt yourself. And what happens is they don't. So they go, well, and it's like subconsciously they go, well, you tell me not to do something because you think happened. something's yeah. bad and it doesn't happen. And so they then learn, well, I won't listen to you mm. until they do it for themselves. And that's when a parent goes around and goes, told you so. Yeah. It's like self-fulfilling prophecies to some extent. But for some of these kids, i give an example at the moment regarding like the exams going on. Mm -hmm. You'll see it in the revision. And I'm saying to the students we have in inside school and ones who work with outside school, it's like sleep. Hmm. I went around for a session at a student's house the other day and it was like, he was falling asleep whilst going through this. Hmm. So what time did you go to bed last night? It's like two o'clock. Hmm. And he said, I woke up early. I didn't ask what time early was for him. But it just it just ruined his entire day. Absolutely. Well, it's it's you make mistakes when you're tired. You know, I, I come from a sporting background, and most uh, most points are conceded in the last ten minutes of a game. I can't help but think of Manchester United. They won most of their games because they were fitter. Yeah. You look at tennis; the rallies become shorter. You know, as the game as the matches go on, and and most footballers and in rugby as well they start to dribble more in the last 10 minutes because they're tired and so their brain can't make quick decisions anymore. Yeah. You know, this we've all known this for years, but as you've said though, unfortunately, particularly in adolescence, they've got to learn to get it wrong. Yeah. You know, it is the, I don't know, but it's the, it's the curse of the generations, isn't it? In terms of, I now look back and think of the stuff my parents said to me and thinking, yeah, you're right, but we can only learn by getting it wrong. Yeah. As frustrating as that is though. And I think it's okay. We've got to say to kids, it's okay to make mistakes oh, and yeah. say, to, say to the teachers and the parents, it's like, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to model that behavior, mm. but also then take the students, take your kids through, well, what did you do after? Mm. That's where our, our students here fall down and struggle. And especially in Dubai when it's, it's a huge nightlife, you've experienced mm. it. Malls open till 12 o'clock, people online, you've got people here who are on American hours because they're working of there course, or kids with yeah. this. And it's a real challenge. Mm. It's a real challenge here in schools. But um, I want to go back a few things because mm. you mentioned sort of eating disorder specialist, yeah. therapist. Just curious, what led you into that yeah, field? Yeah, so I, um, I don't, I don't publicise it. Look, we've all got a relationship with food, our size, our body, our weight, our shape. I, I've gone through some stuff. I, I played a, a good level of football, um, you know, and you naturally start to you find your patterns, how you relate to yourself. However, you know, as an educator eating disorders, whilst it's a complex mental health problem called diagnosis, it's one of the most common things we'll ever come across in education and in life. Because again, we've all got a relationship with food and our, our size, our body weight and shape. It was just such a natural thing for me in terms of, um, you know, find your passion. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm very cynical. I don't believe in the whole, do what you love and then you'll never have to work a day in your life. Because actually, no, there are days where you, yeah. you you struggle and that's okay. I think for me as well, the big thing was, Alex, that whenever I did an MHFA course, every teacher wanted to do more about the eating disorder section. Why? Because it's something we all come across so often in school. So for me, it was just a natural progression to be thinking, I need to know more about this so I can better help those attending the training. So when you said MHFA, mental, uh, mental health, health first, first aid, aid yeah, yeah, big part. And and so that was part of it. But then I also retrained as a counsellor. And I don't naturally work with young people or, or adults. You work, you just happen to work with people. I've got quite a lot of professional athletes. And so it's quite important for me to have a better understanding about working with people who have difficult relationships with food and their size and their body. And I've never looked back. I've, it's just such a thrill to work with people anyway 
But with eating disorders, it's, again, I don't know if it was someone had set it on my path for a reason, but again, it's it's for me, I've never looked back. I, I feel joyed. I watch podcasts. I listen to things. I, I'm If I can use the expression, I'm a glut for all of that stuff, really. So it's been natural for me. And, you know, I, I ran it with Cranley, that one day course. And all of them were just fascinating because I think, I think it's really useful for all of us to actually have some focused training on that. It's vitally important in education. However, I would say this as well. Most of the training and research out there is very Western focused. Yeah. And that is always one of the biggest things about this sort of training is thinking, how can you make it culturally sensitive or culturally accessible? At least with eating disorders, you can neutralize the learning because we're talking about things like what is normal eating? You know, what what can we do in schools to prevent these from happening? That spreads all across the world. Um, yeah, look at me. I, again, could talk about it all day, fascinated by it. And um, it's not going away. However, I would say the statistics for recovery for eating disorders have skyrocketed the last 10 years. Why do you think that is? I think um, it's no longer sti- it's no longer stigmatised as much as it used to be. I think it's also we just have a better understanding of things. I think we as a... As a as a society, we've just have a lot more compassion when it comes to this stuff. I mean, think about, you mentioned 100 years ago with nutrition. Think about 100 years ago, how we used to treat mental health. Even 15, 20 years ago, I, I remember, I'm a big boxing fan. I remember Frank Bruno, um, yeah. you might remember Frank He got sectioned in 2001, uh, psychotic episodes, had psychotic breakdowns. And I remember the front page of the newspaper had bonkers Bruno as the front page. We'd never do that twenty years on now. No, we wouldn't. So, so I think I think things are becoming destigmatized. Good. I, I think there's a cynical part. I think people are clocking on that this isn't going away. So we, yeah. you know, all of this stuff. Um, but I think as well, we now know it's no longer a, a dirty thing. It's more common than we realise. It's not a girls' thing. That's a big stigma there. Eating disorders are what girls have. Absolutely not. Some eating disorders are more focused for those born in a female body, anorexia. But then again, so I'm going to sidetrack here, anorexia, there's something called atypical anorexia where anorexia is not about being underweight. It's about having the mindset of being as skinny and as underweight as possible. So lots of men can have it, but because we naturally hold our weight a bit, you know, it's it's hard not, you know, yeah, it's in your 30s, you're catching up now, right? It's... It's fascinating. We're, we're learning and discovering more the complexities, but the treatment's really good as well. You know, we, we really do understand it now. Yeah. Like I, as I said, I could talk about it all day mm. with you. I'm fascinated by food and the mental component and the physical effects yeah. it has. And I'm at that point, almost 40, I keep saying mm. that, almost, almost 40. Yeah. Um, and my metabolism has completely shifted mm. like in the last year or so. Mm. And that's for me coming from, and I retired from a good standard of rugby when I was 26 mm. through injury, unfortunately, and body shape and everything. You can yeah. ride it. You can ride it for a little bit. You could get away with it. Can't, yeah, I got away with it for a few years myself. And then you're thinking, I'm not running six miles a day anymore, Georgie. You know, what do you, you know? That's, yeah. And so I've really then shifted my own like preconceived sort of ideas about what is health mm. and you know being nutritionally balanced and i'm like yourself i'm shifting away from this word diet and mm. trying to advocate it for the for the, the kids in school and we're lucky at the school i'm at we've just had a brand new sort of cafeteria built nice mm. sort of and then within that they've put a separate kitchen and a lot of schools are doing this now out here and you may have seen some of it mm. where they've got these standalone kitchens and they're getting chefs to come in or they're working in, in primary schools mm. about show how food works and yeah. how you're made it's one of the biggest preventative measures if any parents are watching this if you want to have your child to have a healthy relationship with food you understand get them to understand it it's i always call it it's like the voldemort effect once you actually says his name it's it's no longer an issue and it's you know once people actually understand how food is made you have a better understanding yeah. and and also just acceptance um yeah i don't use the word diet but there's a big word i use now is function yeah and i think that's a big thing for for all of us and like i said i work with a lot of professional athletes and we talk about function and we talk about nutrition and we talk about all these things, but health. And I, you know, I mean, one of my, my fantastic client, I said, you know, in your recovery, what do you, what's your sign of health? And they said, I want to have birthday cake and not worry about the calories. And I said, 
we can work with that. Yeah. You know, that's health for you. Perfect. For me, it's me. I'm here now for a few more days. I'm going to have a bit of a, a chill time. For me, I couldn't have done this years ago. Um, have an ice cream by the swimming pool and not worry. Yeah. Beyond, was it 30 minutes of eating before you go in the pool sort of idea? That's a myth, isn't it? Yeah. I'd be, in, I'd be, in, I'd I'd be, be eating the pool. it while in it. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's it. But, but it's, it's, we're all on a journey, as much as I, I loathe the words, we are all on a journey with it. And our relationship with food changes over time. You know, when you start to have a family, when you're in a different country, different culture, all yeah. of these things, it's adaptable. But the strict rules idea is something we all need to focus on. Good foods, bad foods. You know, I grew up with, you can't have um, carbs after 6pm because then it becomes fat when you go to sleep. That Our bodies don't work that way. No. You know, but, and, but again you sometimes have to remind yourselves of this. We, we spoke about it with Cranley and, and they invited a bunch of other schools to attend. And one of them, she said, George, she said, I was raised on the idea that there's starving children in Africa. And she says, so my message for me growing up was I've got to eat all of my food no matter what, or you can't have your pudding until you eat your veggies. Yeah. So straight away, veggies seems like it's a, it's a ransom. Yeah. And so therefore you might really like veggies, but for you and your mindset is you've got to have, you have to have them yeah. in order to have the treats. That's exactly the the household we grew up mm. in. Like my, my, my dad is specific, specifically, he was educated in a boarding school, mm. you know, strict, strict parents to some extent. And it was a case of don't leave the table until mm. you finish that, you know, or whatever put on the plate. And that is detrimental. I, I just say the opposite to my kids. I'm mm. like, whatever we give you, you eat you know and when you're satisfied and go that's that's a big thing i mean the whole idea is is i I think portion's always an issue anyway in society always is and you know i'm I'm a i'm a slave to it i I won't lie you know some days i'm thinking okay george settle down however you know you you comes in it's like a pendulum um but this whole idea that this is something i work with some clients where they don't actually grasp the concept of feeling full yeah and that's linked to their emotional imbalance as well. We've all got our things we've got to work on, you know, and that's okay. We just need to be a bit kinder to ourselves in all of this. You know, I, I remember once when I was teaching um, and I had my football contract. I was doing well. I, lo- I loved the school, loved the kids. They were fantastic. And I remember on a Thursday, I had a double portion of spag bowl and I had double marble cake as well. And I usually don't have either on a Thursday because you train on a Thursday night. And I sat down with the kids. I remember like very prep school, head of the table and all that. And both of the young men, because they were, they were year eight, young men, they looked at each other, looked at my plate and they said, not in a cheeky way, but it's like, you okay, sir? Because they recognised that I don't usually eat like this. And I just had to model and say, actually, you know what, boys? I've had a really bad day, like with, with the emails and all this. And I said, and I just need something to make me feel a bit good for once, you know, and all that. Would I do that every, would I be that open and honest every day? No, of course not. You judge it on your professional instincts, you know, your professional experience. And it just normalized to these young men who are growing that, you know what, sometimes I do need to yeah. just have the carbs, have that, that stuff I really enjoy and, and move on. So what would be, because obviously we're focusing a lot on the students, what would be your messages like for people listening and watching, if you were to give sort of three, five takeaways regarding these points what would be your key messages that well, you're going in yeah so so there's two fundamental things when i'm a counselor and i don't just work with eating disorder clients i work with 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 anyone who deserve everybody deserves therapy by the way you know we want to make this accessible and i also by the way just want to normalize it it's no different than going to see your dentist yeah. i was about to say see your barber it's, it's going um, <laughs> but um it's just to normalize stuff the two biggest things I focus on and we all focus on in therapy without realizing it are self-esteem and resilience. I think resilience gets used too often in a negative way in terms of saying, oh, they're not resilient. You know, for lots of people, when they hear the term resilient, so for me, my reaction to that is Rocky, Rambo. You know, I tell what sort of films I grew up on, you know, that yeah. kind of real grit, you know, resetting your shoulder when it's out, you know, come on. But actually resilience is bounce back ability, as you know, they say in sport. Resilience is committing. When you say you're going to do something, to still do it even if you don't enjoy it. You know, resilience is that growth mindset. But the, the, big, the other big thing is self-esteem. So many people in life, 
their self-esteem is external. It's an external locus of evaluation. So they'll do everything based on external sources, doing it to please others. We would want to work on them to have an internal one where they have such good self-esteem that they're fully confident in whatever they're doing is solely for their needs. So I know you've asked for three or five. For me, it's the two biggest ones. We need to work on people's self-esteem and their resilience. And without ranting, why is self-esteem quite low in, in the younger generation nowadays? You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. Social media. It's so external. I'm not blaming children. This is, this is everybody's responsibility. And my final message is this, if anyone's watching, why doesn't... I hope, the, I hope people are I watching. I hope people are watching, brother. <laughs> why, doesn't, why doesn't the owner of TikTok let his own children use TikTok? Oh, yeah. It's kind of my old man used to brought me up on the whole idea of, George, wherever you move to, listen to the vegetarian butcher. You know, if the butcher's vegetarian in your local town, they know how the meat is made. You know, listen. And I think this is really telling in today's society. Yeah. You know, it's... It's a big thing. So self-esteem, huge. Um, but all of us need to work on it, Alex. Adults too. I'm in exactly the same boat Yeah. physically. And like, I think it's because of, uh, psychology-wise, what do you identify as? Mm-hmm. And not in, in terms of, for me, so I'm Alex, teacher, mm-hmm. dad, leader, mm-hmm. and still in my head, athlete. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape or form, anyway, I say, mm-hmm. But in my head, I still identify and mm. still recognize in my friendship group as you're the rugby player. Mm. To the point where a lot of my friends say, you're a PE teacher, aren't you? Mm. And even people I meet, if I say I'm a teacher and they know I play rugby, it's like, oh, you teach PE? It's like, mm. nope. Nope. Scientist. Mm. I'm like, oh. I know it doesn't help. I also went to Loughborough. Like, there you go. You're ticking a lot of boxes for the sport, aren't you? That's yeah, exactly. It, yeah. So I identify as that. And one of the issues then regarding my self-esteem about what I should be doing or how I should look mm. or how I should act is focused around those things in terms mm. of modeling. It's like, well, I see myself as an athlete, therefore I should be doing this. I should look like this. And the word should is very powerful, isn't it? That's, yeah. yeah. Be- who told, I would be saying this, who told you you should have to be this way? Right. Is it, is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it external? Yeah. For me, it's all internal. Mm. Like that's what I identify as. Mm. Therefore I should mm. be doing these things and I should look mm. this way, mm. you know, it's not necessarily it's that. And that's what drives a lot of the, for me personally, drives those issues. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's the biggest question, Alex, who am I? Well, the two are, who am I and why am I here? Yeah. I mean, I leave the second one to the religious leaders, you know, and all of those sort of things. But who am I? And I often ask people, who would you like to be? Or how would you like to be described by those around you? And I, yeah. And the other one is, so I have lots of young men come for therapy now, which is beautiful. I'm really glad to see that. And often some of them, well, a lot of them have the theme of, I don't know what it means to be a, be a man. And yeah. part of me wants to say, join the club. You know, like we, we've all got these questions about manhood and, and womanhood and all of these things. But I often say, well, I think actually you define what it is. Yeah. But that takes a lot of self-esteem to even say, I will define who I am. How do you find that? That's a personal journey, isn't it? Yeah. It, it truly is, you know, and some people find it very quickly. Some people find the purpose once they have families or or they see, do you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that in the last six months, I've got a lot of young men coming because of what they're seeing online about masculinity and they don't like it. And in my head, I'm thinking, good for you. You don't like it. And this is causing you to reflect and think, this doesn't make me feel good. What can I do to change things? Yeah, we had an... And I don't know if you've seen it in schools. It's obviously died a little bit down now, but Andrew Tate. That, that's what I was sort of referring to. I mean, most people think he's a Wally, don't they? However, get the other side of get it. Get the other side who double down and think, oh, this is this is the cause. You know, actually, I've now found meaning. Yeah. And I'm sorry to be very political. They've got low self-esteem. That's how you hook people in extremist movements and whatnot. You get those who've got low self-esteem and you pull them in. It, so you're going into a school, I'm going to give you a scenario because yeah. I'm interested in this. You go into a school, you see these, you see these boys, mm-hmm. low self-esteem. What would you do? How would you go about improving that for them? I mean, again, it's, it's, you, you can't do a heavy touch. No. You just can't because, again, you, you mentioned about your, your kids, about jumping on the settee. And I, I said this to all the courses I've done since I've been here. If you tell someone they can't have chocolate, oh. they're going to want it even more. So we have to normalise the feelings 
for me, uh, gosh, I am, I was, I was going to be neutral today. I wouldn't use the word toxic, toxic masculinity. I'd use toxic conditioning because I'd actually ask them, what's masculinity? Yeah. You know, that's a big question. What's femininity? You know, that's a big one. I said, okay, so what makes it toxic? As what you do with it. I said, there it is. I said, actually, masculinity is a very beautiful thing like femininity is, but it's how you're raised and how you use it. For me, femininity and masculinity, one of the things that doesn't make it toxic is that when you use it, it's not to bring other people down. Yeah. I'm a big believer in equality being lifting people up rather than knocking people down. I've, I've, always, I've always been like that. But what would I do for these young men? First off, I would normalize the feelings of anger and the and the, you know the kind of aggression that they're going through because that's biology. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me. We actually need to normalize this. I always trick the kids on my courses. Name a negative emotion, and they all say anger straight away. And I said, anger can lift the car off your friend. Yeah, you know. I said, what makes so what makes it negative? Oh, I go turn around and I tell the teacher where to go, or I punch my mate. I said, okay, so it was the punching which was negative not the anger it itself. And you see them, Alex, the whole thought pattern has been challenged by me simply saying something like that. That's the sort of things we need to do. We need to normalize these emotions they're going through. Because for me, so many of my older male clients, they were given messages growing up. Don't cry. Don't be angry. Be a man. Yeah. Man up. Don't be a girl. All of these things, and even me saying that infuriates me. We need to normalise these feelings and actually challenge those thought processes straight away. Um, you know, I've got to be a man. I've got to man up. So hang on. You don't need to cry every sunset. Yeah. But you still need to have these emotions because else in your 50s, it comes up in a very well self-damaging way. I think I found for myself... I've become more em emotional since having children. Mm. I've always had it there, but it's like there's certain things I'm quite open, happy to talk about, like certain films or yeah. things that they sort of bring about. Or generally, if I see, I feel pride within my children, mm. that will bring a tear to my eye. I'm quite happy to talk about that because yeah. I'm overwhelmed mm. with emotion. It just expresses itself that way. I don't mind that. Mm. Like I grew up in an environment in terms of team sports, mm -hmm. a contact sport in terms of physicality mm. and a man at that point was, you go to the gym, masculinity, or in that case, is alpha male. Mm, yes, yeah. That was the one thing. And going back, where we're now, you're talking 20, 25 years mm. ago, in terms of masculinity was that alpha male physicality. Yeah. And I remember I was regaling to someone a story about this. When I was properly a rugby, I first started teaching, and uh, I remember speaking to the boys at the table and I was just going around checking. I was just looking over his mm. work. This kid just turned around to me and went, sir, can you just, can you move? He's like, move away from me. I was like, why? He goes, it just, it's a bit intimidating. Right. Without, yeah. without realizing, re yeah. Even realizing it. Mm. But in terms of that stature and size, that was then at that point, alpha males. And now, 20, 25 years later, I think mm. the idea of it has completely changed. I think alpha, being an alpha male is very, individual but you know and, and i do you know what's amazing i i think some of the alpha males in my life and i've done that in air quotes would not be ticking the boxes of what an alpha male was 20 years ago because for me being an alpha male um is someone who's fully confident in themselves and they're not ashamed and they're not embarrassed and all you know and i love that in fact i'm envious of people who are just so fully confident in themselves yeah not not arrogant, but just thinking, this is who I am. I love my partner. I love my life. I love what I do. Great. You know, it's, but again, that's self-discovery. And that's why I do think we are, we are, we are progressing with things. Because again, we call things out now that we wouldn't have called out 20. So again, you look at, again, I can't help but go back to Andrew Tate. I love the fact that there's so many people that are pretty openly scathing about that person. And I think, good, okay, good for you. And some want to follow him. Okay, good for you as well. I'm just glad that people are, are more confident in being able to say, actually, no, I disagree with this mindset. This is my mindset. Or, or more power to them. Um, it's interesting you said about the physicality because that's a big thing about body language. And I spoke about this with the staff on Thursday. We call it manspreading, don't we? That that Those sort of things. And yet physicality is so um, 
it's something we don't realise just how powerful it is. So even so much as like Cranley, they all joke saying, oh, it's good to see you actually have legs, George, because they've only known me on Zoom sort of thing. But they said, oh, we did kind of joke. We wonder how you sit with the Zoom call sort of thing. And I'm a bit of a ball of energy. Like, you know, my foot, my foot's bouncing here, by the way, because I kind of need to move. Um, but even the physicality, and I remember, Alex, I worked in prep, so ages six to 13. And I remember my deputy head, great guy, tall, um, like Easter Island he was. Like, he was a big, big huge guy. And he used to say to me, he said, George, he said, just be mindful you're working with six-year-olds and 13-year-olds. And what he was basically saying is not just your tone of voice, but physically, you know, he said, you are a man and they are boys. Yeah. And it's it's really telling. But we also need to hear it from the kids, don't we? That that student said that to you and it made you think, right? It made you think, gosh, I've never considered this before. Thank you. Yeah. And I was more impressed that he had, we had the relationship. That he could share that. That he could actually turn around and know he's in a safe space to go, that is just a bit intimidating, yeah. sir. Um, and I really appreciate yeah. it because it's one of those things as teachers, we kind of go to some of our, these strength, we kind of conceived strengths of mm. how do we, how do we relate? How do we discipline? How do we get good behavior? Right. And you will see teachers to some extent. And I used to be one of them that could go, I can use my physicality, my presence to, to, to maintain an order in my classroom. I was the same, Alex. Oh gosh. I was, yeah. And then I realized and then I've got to start teaching girls. And then I've got to start teaching uh, boys who perhaps aren't the sporty ones. Yeah. And, and you know, and things like this. I was a classics teacher, which is a bit odd, bit odd but you're thinking, okay, oh, yeah. But again, that's, that's when you can finally start developing, when you realise, I don't really know anything. And now I've got to do yeah. things differently. However, I also say this as well. It's also really important. As I said, that I'm working with girls. Just because they're girls doesn't mean they can't, some of them wouldn't resonate with my teaching style anyway. Yeah. They're all individuals and some of them almost need us to be very different to them to work. But I was really glad you said the word relationship, by the way, because it's all about the relationships. They're children and young people first, students second. Have a good relationship with them and we'll get so much further Definitely. Ac academically, spiritually, ethically, whatever it is, we will get better if we have a good relationship with these with these kids. I agree, 100% agree. So I want to go back to it a little bit now in terms of, obviously previously you said most of your work is is international. Sure. Are you seeing a difference between sort of the, the clients and the schools, the students you work with in the UK in comparison to what you see here internationally? Um, like, yes and no. I Sorry, this is such a macabre comparison, but forgive me, it's always one I go to. I think, I do think about these children who are in the Western world, in Asia, Middle East, South America. Of course, there are slight differences but we've all got the same hierarchy of needs, good old Maslow and all of this. And this is the macabre sense. I think of like the World War when on Christmas Day they put down their weapons and they came up and what did they all do? They sung Silent Night in English or in German. They played football. Yeah, they got the jumpers out on goalposts. The Germans beat us on penalties. That's the joke my dad always says. Um, and then they showed each other pictures of their loved ones back home. You know, they were, you know. Yeah. And so for me, I was thinking even in the midst of all of the, the tragedy, there's so much that puts people together. And it's the same with the kids because they've all got the same issues, self-esteem, resilience, exams. Who am I? Do I get as many likes as others? Yeah. Do I get as many views? You know, all of the, the haves and the have nots, the fear of missing out, you know, all of these things, there's so much more that pulls them together than doesn't. And so without being so poetic, um, you know, we, we're the human race, first and foremost. It's incredible how similar we all are. It's a bit like um, it Monty Python when he says, yes, you're all individuals. And they all say together, yes, we're all individuals. There's so much. I, I, I've worked with the UAE school kids. When I was in Sao Paulo four or five weeks ago, the answers they were giving in Sao Paulo were the same as the ones in RGS Dubai, Cranley, Southview and GEMS. That's not to say we shouldn't find our uniqueness. I'm just saying that actually the way you tackle this stuff is the same in every country. You just have that slight change. You know, you might change the tone of your voice. You know, you might think about something which is perhaps a bit more culturally appropriate. But at the end of the day, they're all going through the same things. Yeah. And so are the parents, by the way. Right? What, what are the parents going through? They want the best for their children. Yeah. 
I read something the other day. It's like parenting is you basically just make it up as you go along. Of course you do. There's no book for it. No. Well, I'll tell you what. If parents, I recommend this. This is called Winnicott theory. And we teach... Sorry, I'm going to sell. We do teach it on the counselling skills training. The Winnicott theory is called... Basically, it's subtitled The Good Enough Parent. Because you can get it wrong sometimes. You can get it right other times. Just be good enough. Yeah. You just can't, you cannot get it right all the time. It's, it's like with teachers. Do you shout at the kids or do you just let them get away with everything? Well, sometimes they need to be disciplined. Sometimes they need to kind of be like, come on, you know, you got it wrong, mate. Yeah. Can we, can we pretend this hasn't happened? You judge it on the situation. Oh yeah. So I'll give you an example, even from this morning. Uh, so my youngest comes up to me and she's like, dad, can we, can we have ice creams today? And I was like, it's quarter past seven. It's quarter past. And she goes, what happened there? I was like, no, it's like, have breakfast. Mm. And I just said, there's like, after breakfast, you know, we can sort ice creams out type of thing. It's the weekend. Mm. Think Me thinking, we've got time. Yeah. I come down the stairs, come ready to come and meet yourself. And what do I find? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both my children sat down eating ice creams and going, what? And I was like, well, we had breakfast. Ah, so there you go. So in a way, I'm going to say, well, technically, they did have breakfast. And they, I can't fault them for yeah, that. But, but as a parent, you're kind of going... It's eight o'clock on a Saturday morning mm. and you're eating ice cream, like Cornetto ice creams. In some ways, I can, after everything we talked about, mm. I'm going to go, oh, jeez, okay. And, but at the same time, it's actually, you know what? That's You've, what I said. You know, the, it, you get it wrong, you get it right. I, I always say, you know, in terms of in sport, I remember my old gaffer, a sort of manager, was saying, um, he said, you can't wallow in your mistakes. He said, because within six seconds, you're involved in the game again. Ted Lasso. Ted, Ted Lasso, he said that. As well. he be said, a goldfish. Be a goldfish. But my gaff, you say, I, I played um, middle of the pitch and I used to, back then anyway, he said, when you misplaced a pass, he said, why are you moaning? He said, because two or three seconds later, you're involved again. Next job. Next so job. Get on with it. The kids I coach rugby to, that's it. You know, it's like they will focus on that and then they're out of the game. And the and idea is... Chance. Yeah. Is next job, next job, yeah. and then I've got them saying that as well. Next job, it's like because there are there is always that next thing you can be doing. And, and Pep Guardiola, I'm a fan of him. I have to say, you know, don't follow his team. He he, one of his players didn't play in the next game, and in the pre-match interview just before they were about to start, they said, "Oh, why is Fernandinho not playing? Is it because of um, the mistakes he made in the last game? He must have cost him a goal." Pep Guardiola looked incredulous at the interview. He said. What are you on about? It's all about making mistakes. Mm. He said, "This that's what sport is about. It's about making mistakes. And I, I just loved that. He was, this is a this is play for Barcelona, play for Spain. What he's done as a coach. What he's yeah. done as a coach. And he's saying, this is, that was the best message I'd heard for, for a long there time. There was a video of one of the basketball players. Is it Giannis? Yeah, only a few weeks ago, he was saying, yeah, about mistakes, right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's really good to have that out there and then the traction that gets. Mm. You know, he was saying to him, and even from us both coming from sports, it's mm. like, I was at a talk yesterday about skills, talking about like collaboration, communication mm. within the classroom and so forth. And the teachers started with and said, well, what, what does this look like for you? You know, what would you do? Mm. And it was all about the outcome, all about what the kids were making mm. rather than an act of pause it to them and go, well, what's a skill? Mm. And the you get it, it's like, oh, it's something you do. Mm-hmm. Okay, what just want? And it's like, oh no, it's it's the repetition of something over time mm. to get to a level of mastery or, mm. almost of it. And so you get it right first time, second time, third. And it's like, no. So like, why do we have expectations of our students to do something once? Exactly. Well, that's it. But again, it's very easy for us to um, give the advice and not follow it ourselves. We have to model it, don't we? Absolutely. We have to model it. So speaking of that, as we talk to modeling and, and mm. thinking ahead, what are your plans? What are your visions for your... Yeah, gosh, where to begin? Um, obviously, it's not really a public announcement yet, per se. We are opening up an office here. We, oh, we heard it here first. There you go, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I think we've been saying it to people like, you know, because I said, oh, George, you know, when are you next back? I am back in September for a month. So again, so, without being cheeky, I'm here no, for a no, month. Yeah. I mean, I, so I want to visit as many schools as, and, and companies as so possible. On, so if people want to get in touch with you here in September. I'm here in September, all of September. So, um, how can people contact you? Uh, George at mindyourhealthlimited.com. Uh, I'm, you know me, I'm a glut for LinkedIn as well. They can always Same. reach out on LinkedIn. I love it. I will tag, everything will get tagged here. Appreciate so. it. Um, so I'm here for a month. We are going to open up an office, not because we want to up any other competition for me I, I'm a big believer that anybody that's in this work 
work environment, around mental health, we help each other because it spreads this message. You can only do one course at a time anyway, you know, so that idea. But in terms of long term, you know, for me, I want it to be where it's just regular, like schools are always sending people on the counselling skills training. We do that every Friday, 10 week course on a, and everybody's from the UAE. Maybe it's not appealing if it's a four day week, by the way, that's what it might be talking about. But for long term, you know, we've, we're opening up an office in Sao Paulo. We're opening up one in the UAE and we're looking one in Bangkok as well, because it's good areas. It's again, it sounds luxurious, it's not that. It's just because we want to have people with their, their feet on the ground. I think Zoom deliveries are fantastic for some things. Nothing beats in person. So we're setting up shop because it's our hope that schools are going to regularly be thinking, mind your health, they're going to offer a package where staff, parents and students are taught every term or three or four times a year. That's our long-term goal. We, we want it to be, by the way, um, I appreciate you said the word client and I mean, we just see it as partnerships. We want to have collaborations with schools where we don't, whilst there is the transaction idea, it's more about we're working with a school, not for them. You yeah. know, we, we're working towards the same goal here. So that that's our aim for the next year. I think it's, George, I think it's absolutely amazing. I think everything you've done and are doing and going to continue to do um, is fantastic. And I'm glad you are here with us today talking Cheers, about mate. it and, and putting it out there. Um, and being the first face-to-face guest hey. um, for the international classroom, so I really appreciate it. And everything you're doing is absolutely amazing. So, thank you, and all the all the best for the future as well. Cheers. Likewise, Alex. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the International Classroom Podcast. I hope that our discussion has provided you with some valuable insights and perspectives on education from around the world. If you've enjoyed this episode. Subscribe on your favorite streaming platform to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you've got any feedback or any comments or suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website or on our social media channels. Remember guys, education is a lifelong journey and we're excited to continue exploring the world of education with you. So don't forget to subscribe and we will see you in the next episode of the International Classroom.